If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Now, joining me uh, to reflect back on 2022 and indeed a little peep forward to 2023 as well, I'm delighted to be joined by political scientist and author Dr. Anthony O'Halloran. Good morning to you, Anthony. Uh, good morning, Frank. That's great to see you. You were just telling me you've been contributing to programmes here since about 87, have you? All, all yeah, yeah. P- pantomime, uh, there's a man now in our Finnan uh, by the name of John O'Neill who would provide you with very precise dates but I remember my very very first Tip FM interview was with a lady I think called Peg Power Ah the great I, Peg I, Power yeah. Yeah. yeah and my good friend uh, very very involved in pantomime time in Arfinan I think it was myself and Kathleen Johnson mm. uh, gave that interview now I am not going to disguise the fact the amount of pressure that I felt going before a microphone Did for you? the first time, yeah. Well, yeah, I, um, I, I suppose one of the things I would say, Fran, maybe, and this is something you would understand and, and your, your, your colleagues here, I, I, I suppose, frankly, I, I marvel at people who sit here and who can do it every day in the sense that people who are in public life, they seem to take this in their stride. Yes. But I, I think for people, obviously you will know for people doing it, um, starting from a tabula rasa, it's difficult. It is. It's very, it is. very difficult. Yes. So I, I, I see the tarnished or the Taoiseach or the ministers or a journalist and they seem to be able to speak at will and calmly on any issue with this microphone in front of them. Yes. Um, I think that's great. So, But I, I remember that day well yeah. with Peg. I mean, I was really, really under pressure. As, yeah, but I suppose enough, when, when I switch roles, Anthony, on the rare occasion that I would be interviewed yeah. about something, I would be a bag of nerves, completely, yeah. you know. Well, it's the fear, I suppose. Again, I'm I'm very sympathetic who, to people who misspeak, Fran, who mm. make a, a, an authentic mistake, um, speaking bona fide. Yes. Uh, but I think there can be a harshness out there nowadays on social media in particular, oh, yeah. even about people who misspeak. Now, we all misspeak and we say things... And the words come out wrong sure. and we crumble. So I suppose the empathic side of me would tend to say, give people a break. Yes. Um, and yeah, there give, seems to be no break now. No, there's, Everything there's is no, listen, adjudicated. No, it's, you know, it's, it's awful. It's, uh, it's, yeah, so that's, a long, that's a long time ago, friend. That's a long time ago, and I'm going to sip on a cup of coffee. And, and why not? And relax there. We're going to start, I suppose, with uh, what defined 2022 for a lot of people, and uh, that would be the the war in Ukraine. W- would you agree with that, by the way? That it, it will 2022 will be defined. Well, it, well, it has to be. My uh, one, one, or, one or two memories. Uh, I remember looking at the Irish Times shortly after the Russian invasion. Um, top of the Irish Times, and my my heart actually went faster. War in Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, students, people listening today who studied Leaving Cert history, when you see that headline, yes. uh, War in Europe, um, I think I may have, I was in it a day or two after that mm-hmm. invasion, I recall, mm-hmm. but I well, well remember returning to Arfina that night and meeting friends. Now, the atmosphere was tense, it was serious, it was um, anything I, I would say. But light, uh, people were acutely aware of what was on the cards, mm. particularly in terms, I think, of the potential escalation of the war beyond conventional weapons. So I discovered, I remember coming back from Dublin, Fran, and I could 
feel, absorb and discern the atmosphere. People were worried. Um, but then I was up late last night and if you said to me in February when I was in with you, mm. probably in my head I was saying Zelensky would last three or four weeks. Yes. In my head I was saying the Russian Secret Service or their equivalent would assassinate him. Mm. The cabinet will not survive. Um, Kiev will fall. And what I... Pr- I was imagining several scenarios. Uh, mm. I don't think I mentioned this in the interview. One of the scenarios I imagined was Zelensky leading a government in exile. In exile. Yeah. 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 Uh, but the, the scenario it's, it's that you described there, would that not have been the case? Um only for the West intervention and particularly the American Absolutely. intervention. Absolutely. Uh, that would be the case. But my understanding is that, and I think Nancy Pelosi confirmed this last night in a conversation, mm. he was offered an exit strategy personally, in other words, to get him out of Kiev, mm. and he chose to stay. Mm. So he did make that decision. Um, so I, I think full. There is on. It's undoubtedly the case. There are two factors at play in the Ukrainian war. Uh, there is the absolute tenacity of the Ukrainian people. I, I just want to say something as well, maybe for Ukrainian displaced people in our county today. What has really struck me, and this struck me when I visited Ukraine all those years ago, including the University of Donetsk, what really struck me was, and is striking me every day, and I'm curious, even, friend, if you could maybe give me a reply to this. When I see the Ukrainians talking on television, what I encounter is a quiet dignity. Mm. Mm. Now, I find it extraordinary that that quiet dignity can be a character feature given the extreme circumstances they are facing on a daily basis. But to answer your question directly, yes, um, the American intervention. Mm. And Biden now is trying to give so much, but he's also watching Mm. the borders, the boundaries, because he doesn't want to overstep boundaries and maybe antagonise Putin But are you not afraid? I mean, now we have the introduction of the Patriot, uh, missiles in there with, you know, a possible escalation because of that. Yeah. And Putin is making the point that this is more sort of aggravation as far as he's concerned. Does that trouble you? Because everything that worried us in the first few weeks still worried me greatly. I have yeah, to yeah say. It, it, it worries me. Um, again, I, I would say it has been a regular feature of news commentary since February that the idea of an atomic uh, bomb exploding. Yes is now back in the public realm. Now, I remember in the 1980s, those of us who went to secondary school in the 1980s, Fran, that existential crisis was not theoretical at all mm. because we were at the height of the Cold War. Mm. So am I, am I worried that this could escalate out of control? Yes. Um, on the whole, I think Biden has excelled in terms of the Ukrainian crisis. Um, he's balancing costs and benefits mm. with regard mm. to every decision. Zelensky last night, before the United States Congress, the Senate and the House, um, he actually said to the, to the ladies and gentlemen present, mm. I want more. Mm. So mm. at one level, Zelensky is pressurising Biden to give more, mm. uh, whilst Biden is saying, I can give you so much. And the Republican Party, the right wing now of the Republican Party, apparently, they're coming at 
uh, this in a different way, they are in particular, I think, objecting to uh, the amount of money being yes. spent. So it'll be interesting to watch um, when Nancy Pelosi resigns um, and Speaker McCarthy, possibly, not probably, probably more than possibly, mm. takes over. Uh, to what extent, if at all, he can manage the right wing of the Republican Party? Yeah, it'll be, and, and that would be Trump's crew, essentially, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, that would be Trump's crew, essentially. And it would be the mindset there, and I want to mention this in an event because I, I think one of the most appalling incidents during, I, I suppose, my observations of the United States politics, there was the assault on Paul Pelosi, which mm. was awful. Mm. But I have to say, and I, and I think most of your listeners would agree, the spin, the nefarious spin was that was put on that by the far right in the United States was just incredible. Mm. The man had been beaten with a hammer over yeah. his head. It's, it's, it's very worrying, isn't it's, it? It's it is very, very again, worrying. Uh, again, yes. Uh, yeah. you, you must have been rather happy, though, to see that um, that recommendation from the Justice Department on Monday that Trump would be criminally prosecuted now for what happened uh, with the attack on the Capitol. Are you, does that make you... Yeah, 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 it's a recommendation. Yeah, it, it, but it's only a recommendation. recommendation. Yes. Um, they, yeah. they, it's, it's, they have no particular authority in this matter other than yeah. to recommend. Um, the, there's now a special counsel in charge, actually. Yeah. Um, the Department of Justice can, if they so wish, choose to simply ignore. Mm. Um, I, I think the issue around the January 6th committee for me, and I actually thought it would be a waste of time. I said this is going to be futile. Yes. I think where they came into their own, two, two, two respects. One, it was bringing together the footage was superb, the way that the footage of January the 6th. And the second aspect where I think they did really well, and this is a day I, I, I didn't think I'd ever see. I'm observing US politics for a long time, Fran. Liz Cheney was fronting yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. Now, this is Liz Cheney, daughter of Dick Cheney. Mm. They, are, uh, they are so... It's difficult to overemphasize the extent to which they are embedded in Republican Party political culture. So that was a huge move for her. A very, I'm going to say as well, a very brave move. And people say we use the word bravery too lightly. Sadly, in the United States now, Fran, if you become a Republican in name only, or if you step outside the boundaries, um, what comes with that very often is um, light, threats to your life and threats to life of your family. So it is a very consequential decision, personally, for Liz Cheney, to engage in something like that. Can we move to the UK then? Um, and what what a year. I mean, you know, where would you even begin? Uh, Liz Truss, I suppose. Um, what? A, how did that even come about when you think about it, you know? I, I think it was a deeply dysfunctional period in, in British politics, yeah. number one. Um, it came about in terms of the dynamic, which it, where you have an electoral college of highly invested Tory party members um, whose views and sentiments do not chime with the population at large. Mm. Now, party political members, generally, Fran, around the world, will be much more invested in politics than Jack, Mary, Joe or John outside. Uh, so uh, she played that base. But the great difficulty about politics is you can play a particular violin in opposition 
or if you're a candidate. But the minute you walk into government buildings yes. or into number 10 Downing Street and you get the keys, you're confronted with a different reality. Yes, of course. Now, she tried to circumvent the realities. Uh, she sacked um, the senior advisor um, at the Treasury. I think his name was John Scholar. Why did she sack him? Because John Scholar was an official who was going to tell her as it is, mm. and, and to and, how, and avoided all the budgetary um, advice. Well, well, that's that's the thing, Anthony. I mean, how did they think that economic um, structure would would fly? Yeah, I, I don't know because um, what they did was, I might even I think I scribbled down a stat here last night. They were providing for, if you think about this now, yes, forty five billion of unfunded tax cuts. Now, typically under Keynesian economics, Fran, you will know from the programme here and discussions, it's, it can be justified in the sense of what can be justified is investment in long-term infrastructure, mm, okay? Mm. Uh, building hospitals, building roads. Yes. Uh, but to, to go into that scenario for unfunded tax cuts of 45 billion was extraordinary. So what she was doing was she wanted the best of everything. She wanted tax cuts. Uh, she wanted um, to borrow to fund the tax cuts. And I think she wanted to, to cut public spending as well, but might have been somewhat reluctant to do so. Mm. But it led to a very a, a near, near, I think, um, enough um, profound economic crisis. Yes. I think they went went to the brink because mm. I, I was struck at how the language of Ireland in 2010, do you remember all the language about bonds? Yes, of course. Gilt, yes. Yeah. And the when they were trying to sell the bonds, and people often ask me, what are bonds, by the way? And bonds are simply IOUs yeah. by governments. So, I mean, there's nothing too complex about them. So the government says, this is an IOU. Um, we'll pay you back in a certain time and there's an interest rate attaching to it. But of course, interest rates started to go up and the, the, those who were buying the bond purchasers uh, were losing confidence. And then, of course, that had huge implications as well for the pension fund scenario. But it was the extent, uh, I think, to which she and her colleagues it was a very, very short premiership. I'm looking at my dates there, Fran, mm. the shortest in UK history. It might not say the 6th of September to the 25th of October, October. Yeah. in the same year, yeah. okay? Which is incredible. Um, and it? also, I think there was four chancellors of the Exchequer. So it is, for me, a little bit frightening and scary, to go back to your question, in terms of governance, mm. that the checks there failed. Yes. The checks failed. But it was those promises of that ridiculous economic sort of approach that got her the gig in the first place. Yeah, and that's that's why that's why um it's the juxtaposition, it's the mismatch between the sentiments of the Tory party members in the Shires and uh, and the sentiments of the population at yes. large. Uh, there's a total disconnector. Um because to put it in very, very simple terms, the Tory party membership are not representative of public opinion in the broad sense. Uh, so that's what happened. Can we talk about a couple of other things as well? I mean, Afghanistan is the well... Uh, the, oh, dear the, Lord, the, one yes. the, men, the women banned from university attendance or even from taking their exams. Is this reverting back to the 1990s, that extreme sort of policies of the of the, the Taliban? Is that is that it? Um, 
I'm as 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 of as of um as of last night as of last night the the, the it it only came out in the news last night the, the Taliban now in Afghanistan have official officially banned women from attending universities um so the answer is yes the, I think the reality is entirely expected uh women will play a subordinate and role uh, their preferred status from the point of view of the Taliban is that they should be invisible in the public realm mm. that is the reality and of course that's a classic ploy why do you stop women going to university the last thing they want is articulate women capable of challenging them in the public realm uh, capable of organising against them uh, so one way of uh, frustrating the efforts of those who uh, oppose the regime there is to stop women women from um, attending mm. university. I often, I often say to my students, friend, like the most important and the most profound question in history uh, particularly when we're discussing authoritarian regimes is that moment when, when Fran or Anthony sits back and says why? Mm. Why? A lot of people are asking why. Why am I, as a human being, uh, deemed to be subordinate because I am a woman? And the reality is there's absolutely nothing uh, people within Afghanistan can do about it because it's akin now to... And, and what about, I mean, that rather clumsy way that the Americans left Often, Afghanistan. Yeah. Well, was Often. there not an agreement, though, with the Americans about how women would be treated? I thought that was part of some sort of a... No, that, 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 that I, I, I don't know if there was. I, the answer is I don't know if there was a, an agreement per se, but if you were to ask me, would, have I, would I have any confidence if members of the Taliban, senior members... Uh, said to me something along the lines, uh, we are genuinely committed to equality of treatment in terms of all citizens, uh, universal rights for all citizens, including women, I would have entirely disregarded um, the veracity of that statement from the Taliban. Of course I would. Yes. Of course I would. They, no, they, so they, it was they, inevitable. They, um, I, that would be my judgment. Yes. And I think that, that was... And that, Anthony, that was how that. separate is academia in in Afghanistan. I'm just wondering if they can do anything because I know some guys went out in support of the women and refused to take their own exams and that's but how how powerful is academia standing on its own, if you know what I mean in, in I, I, I would I, the answer is I don't know, friend I can't give you a factual answer. I would speculate and I think it's plausible speculation uh that there's no such thing as on their own in right. in um Afghanistan at the moment. And what what do I mean by on their own? Uh, for a functioning democracy to work, a functioning civil society is essential, by which I mean organisations which are separate and distinct from the state and organisations which will challenge the state as required. Uh, so authoritarian regimes want a very weak civil society. Yes. They do not want a society where organisations flourish. Now, this might sound a little bit odd, and this is something I wa- I wa- I've wanted to say on radio for a long time. Democratic culture very often starts at the village club. And you might say, what has that got to do with national politics? You have elections at an AGM. You have votes at the AGM. You have a constitution. 
you have rules which have to be abided. Mm. So that that micro Democracy. those yes. micro democratic practices across Tipperary, you know, the small villages like the places where I was born and where I come from, where I live now, thank God. All of those spaces at the micro community level are um, demo- democratic frameworks. In places like Afghanistan, um, what authoritarian regimes want to do, they want to shut down those civil society uh, structures because, again, organisations are places where people learn about democratic practices. So I wouldn't see, I would have no sense at all, Fran, of any kind of a civil society existing. By civil society, I define it as those organisations separate and distinct from the state and which are quite willing, which are quite willing to criticise the state of Nestor. You have civil society in here five days a week. You don't even think about it, do you? No, not at all. That's the way things are. That's the way things are. But let's let's say it as we head into Christmas, let's say to our beloved uh, citizens of this beautiful county, uh, that is not a feature of many, many countries in the world where heads of organisations can phone you up today and severely criticise the ministers of the day and mobilise against the ministers of the day. So... um, and we don't always appreciate it, do we? I, yeah, we don't. I, I yes. preach it. I preach it. <laughs> I, I know. I, I'm very preachy on this one. I'm, I'm just about out of time. I have about sixty. Are we out of time we, again? I'm out of time again. <laughs> I've sixty seconds though, and I'd love to spend that sixty seconds just on on China because I'm confused, Anthony. I'm hearing about the economic difficulties of China, and still I'm hearing about the importance of China in in uh, the world and their tentacles uh, moving out. What is the what is the reality? Well, the reality is that there are significant trading trading partners with the United States. Number one, and the second reality is that United States consumers buy a lot of Chinese goods. Uh, the third reality, I think, Fran, is uh, United States provides um, some goods to them as well. So there's a really, 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 really strong trading yes. relationship. Um, the, and the Chinese leadership. Uh, Chinese leadership. What I uh, again just checked again. Uh, the president. There, there is my understanding is now there is no longer a term. Limit no, for he, the president. He got rid of that, he, yeah, he. Yeah. I think he's in his yeah. third term. Yes, he is. But again, how would you describe China? Again, you've got to change your mindset. China is a police state. Full stop. And you saw even when there was embryonic attempts at protest recently, how the police state system tries to, and in this case, successfully um, suffocated. Um, any attempts to critique the government via freedom of yes. assembly. And we all remember years, Tiananmen Square. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, my first point of reference to China is it's a police state, it's an authoritarian regime. Again, there is no such thing as no. freedom of the media in China. I mean, p- Chinese people do not have the privilege of listening to a conversation between Anthony and, and Fran yes. around hopefully an objective critique of the status quo. Uh, that would never happen. That would never, never happen. That would uh, that would never happen. Uh, so it's a regime, really, which started off on the far left. I think it's quite laissez-faire now in some respects, mm, mm. internally, um, economically. Uh, but yes, as, as a trading block, as a trading block, they are very, very, very important. 
um, on the world stage. Anthony, it's always a pleasure. I hope you come back to us early in the new year as well and have a happy Christmas. Um, um, Happy Christmas and it's been a pleasure coming in, Fran. And uh, again, um, I have to say it's a particular pleasure to be in the studio. I love it. Well, you're, you're welcome here anytime, Dr. Anthony O'Halloran. Thank you. Um, news and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. 